You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. Hi, y'all. This is Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First and the host of this podcast, Women of Influence. This podcast features conversations with Columbus's leading women in business in which they talk about how they gained power, how they keep it, and how other women can follow in their footsteps. Today we're chatting with Hinda Mitchell, president of the Inspire PR Group. Thanks for joining us. Hinda. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I just added a the to the beginning of your company name, but I hope that's okay. <laughs> it's like Ohio State, right? Yes, like yeah, the, the Inspire, Inspire PR, PR Group. Group. I might have to go and see <laughs> if I can trademark that. Thank you so much for being here. And so I wanted to start by just getting a little bit uh, more color about your background. So you were born in Ohio, correct? I was actually born in Maryland, but I've ah. been here since I was two months old, okay. which feels sort of like Ooh, always months. from Ohio. That must have been an intense move. It was. I had a lot to pack. <laughs> yeah. It's not as intense for you, I feel like, but I'm just imagining. <laughs> for, yes, for, for my mother, I suppose. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my dad uh, had been in the military and took a job with what was then Columbia Gas, now nice source. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well then, and so you grew up in this in area. Clintonville. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you went to Ball State. I, I did. Saw. So what uh, What took you to Indiana for college? So my um, so my parents divorced, and my mother actually, she, she's acquired a lot of degrees over her lifetime, and um, she uh, ended up going to uh, Ball State to work as a professor. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So cool. I followed her uh, along her travels, and my dad, but my dad always stayed here. Mm-hmm. And so what brought you back to Columbus after that? So my senior year of college, so I had done a couple of internships in Columbus. I'd always come back to Columbus Mm -hmm. uh, in the summers, um, stayed with my dad and done a couple of internships here. Once I got to sort of the middle of my senior year, one of my internships had recommended me for a position at the Arthritis Foundation. Mm -hmm. And they were between PR or they had just lost their PR person and, and were adding another one. And one of my former uh, internship supervisors had recommended me for it. And so it was sort of a crazy time when I think back on it because I get exhausted walking across the street right now. (laughs) But I would leave college in Indiana at 5 o'clock on Thursday, drive home, work on Friday, work on Monday, and drive back Monday night and start class again on Tuesday. So I was doing (laughs) classes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, my final semester, and working in Columbus uh-huh. on the week on Monday and Friday, and oh so then I stayed there. So then after graduation, I went full time into that job. Mm-hmm. And so, were you always interested in kind of the the communications world? Really, not. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I sort of I went. I, I guess I was more on the sort of writing and creative yeah. side of things, and I really sort of fell into the communications world 
through those internships. And, you know, one of the things I tell people all the time is, you know, I, I'm 51 years old, but I can source my entire p- career to my internships. Oh, wow. And I, th- you know, so, so I, I just think that's such a special, I mean, that's such a special thing to know about and talk about the power of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything that I do today, I, I get business referrals from the person for whom I did my first internship oh, wow. today. So it's crazy. When I was in college, I took a lot of communications classes, but they were more on the sort of interpersonal and speech communication mm-hmm. side, less on the PR side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had done... Um, an internship for what was then um, Grant Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had done um, an internship with WNCI, and the WNCI piece sort of really exposed me sort of to promotions and, and radio. I was on the air. I was mm-hmm. doing, like, marketing things. And then I also did an um, internship at Channel 4. Mm-hmm. And so that exposed me to sort of the media side, but I didn't really think I wanted to be a journalist. Sorry. Um, and, what a crazy choice. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, and so then I just connected sort of into this sort of PR world through having that sort of marketing and media experience. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So what do you think are some misconceptions that people have about the PR industry? So it's a great question. We always joke about it. I don't think my parents to this day quite really know what I do. (laughs) Uh, And so some people think, a lot of people just assume PR is advertising, right? Mm. Well, she works in advertising. No, no, not quite. Mm. And so I think this whole issue of the word that everybody always comes back to is spin, Mm -hmm. right? And I Oh, so you're a spin doctor. Mm-hmm. So you work on spinning story. No, you know, I, 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 that's probably sort of the thing that really just gets my ire up is, mm-hmm. is that piece because we work a lot with reporters, people like you all in helping tell stories and being good resources. Mm-hmm. But you know, at least over, you know, over my career, my experience has been when it's done well, it's a great partnership and mm-hmm. it leaves a lot of, you know, area open for, you know, you all to tell great stories, um, to tell balanced stories and, you know, for us to make sure that our clients are well prepared to be a good resource mm-hmm. to you. And so this idea of, back to your original question, I guess, back to this, this idea of sort of that we can spin and get anything into the paper we want or anything on TV we want. I think it was really frustrating, mm-hmm. um, but it's 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 also just I think people don't really uh, PR. A lot of people say PR. Oh, you're in HR. No, not HR. <laughs> PR. Yeah, they just, you know, if it doesn't and, come across their desk, it's right, totally foreign. Right. And the agency world is even more complicated. Mm-hmm. I think people understand it when you're in house someplace. You know, oh, so she does marketing for this entity or that entity or mm-hmm. this business. You know, and when you're in an agency world, then I think it gets even more complicated mm-hmm. and confusing. Is that an education you an education conversation? you also ever have to have with clients about what you can and cannot do for them? It you is. You don't have to name any names. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I, I, yeah, I am a giant believer in managing expectations. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's with our clients, that's with our team, it's with my children, um, <laughs> and everywhere in between. But it is. I mean, there's no silver bullet. I mean, one of the lines I use a lot with different companies is, is marketing can't fix operations, mm-hmm. right? And PR can't fix operations. You know, we can give you really great stories in the newspaper about XYZ, but if XYZ isn't well executed on the back end, we're toast. Mm-hmm. Can I talk mm-hmm. with my hands on that? <laughs> <laughs> and so that is, you know, that certainly is a piece of it that I think is is tough for clients to understand. As you know, I do a lot of crisis work too, mm-hmm. And a lot of that expectation management comes in helping them, 
you know, I can't make it go away. Mm-hmm. I often tell people what I can do is I can make it less bad. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I can give you, help you get, navigate through what's going to be difficult, but I can't just sort of snap my fingers or write some, you know, I'd love to be able to do that, right? That I'd probably make a lot of money, but, um, you know, you can't just fix something away with PR. You have mm-hmm. to work through it. And, you know, I like to think about what we do, whether it's crisis or just day to day, we're just helping them navigate down that communications path. Maybe mm-hmm. it's finding the right words. Maybe it means making sure they're well prepared for an interview and they know what to expect from the reporter, whether it's a good story or a tough story, mm-hmm. either way. You know, maybe it's assuring that the people that they're trying to talk to actually get what it is they do or what they're trying to tell them. Mm-hmm. And and that really is sort of where we, you know, where we land. What is the kind of breakdown in your business in terms of, I guess, kind of standard client work and mm-hmm. crisis communications and kind of any other buckets that you're touching? So we, we have a large, pretty diverse practice. Mm-hmm. Um, the crisis work is really a small percentage of our agency's business. It's a large percentage of my business. Gotcha. So we have sort of experts in different, you know, I have folks who are really expert in digital. I mm-hmm. have folks who work a lot with reporters in the media. I have folks who are really great writers mm-hmm. and who spend a lot of their time writing. You know, my expertise is in crisis. So, you know, we sort of divide up our work by practice areas Mm -hmm. like that. And so crisis isn't a large part of the overall agency business's practice, but it is a lot of what I am expert in, which I sort of, you know, fell backwards into (laughs) over the years, but it's been, it's been fun. So beyond sort of those practice areas, and then we look at sort of sectors of work that we do, and we do a lot of restaurant, hospitality, tourism work. Uh, We do a lot of trade association work, and we do a lot of work uh, in food and farming. Mm -hmm. And then we have this sort of crazy um, piece of business in the pet space that's been sort of fun, dogs and cats. So that's what 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 is crazy about it? It So, well, it's just interesting that sort of it landed, you know, sort of came our way, I guess. Um, Uh We're doing some really, you know, fun work on uh, actually trying to uh, help Columbus be more pet friendly is one of the things we're doing. And then we're also working on educating people who want to have a dog so that they, uh, we just launched a new website. Can I say the name of the website? Sure. BeDogSmart.org. But it's a great sort of not, you can't buy it anything on it. It's just to help you be smarter about how you, if you want to acquire a dog, whether you're getting it from a breeder or a shelter or a rescue. And Mm -hmm. so that's fun to help people just understand what they're getting into so that, you know, hopefully people are smarter about what it's going to cost. What kind of breed do you want? Mm -hmm. Does your apartment say you can or can't have certain breeds or certain weight dogs or things like that? All those things. I feel like on the subject of Columbus being pet friendly, I could make this podcast very controversial by talking about my feelings about the leash law situation in Columbus. (laughs) We could go there. But I will leave it at that. We could talk about pups on the patio. That always gets people riled up. Um, If anyone wants to send me an email, I have some thoughts. Um, (laughs) I can help you manage through your crisis, but I can't fix it for you. I just, I have a lot of thoughts. Okay, so Inspire, you founded in 2014. 2014. So I was kind of late to the party in Uh terms of uh, starting my own thing. (laughs) Yeah, you had been in the agency world, Uh essentially, Mm -hmm. before that. So yeah, what what made you make the jump to time to do my own firm? So it's been an interesting journey. I I was 16 years uh, with a a firm here, and uh, as are a lot of my very close friends who are still my friends today, and 
you know, it might have stayed there forever, but there was a point at which it was a little murky about what the succession plan was for that business. And I was a newly single mom at the time. And I was like, you know, I kind of need to know Mm -hmm. where are we going with this or what's that going to look like? And we tried to sort of figure that out and didn't. And then I went to um, a national agency headquartered in Kansas City for four years and had a great ride there as well and really enjoyed it. And then at one point I sort of went, you know, I've learned a lot in these two positions. Um, I've had a lot of exposure to a lot of different things. I've taken a lot of really great insights from the two bosses I worked for, both of whom I I really cared for and respected a lot. And I said, you know, maybe it's time to think about this differently and, and what could we do? And we were really our Columbus office of this Kansas City company was really operating very autonomously Mm -hmm. and almost as our own agency, really, even at that time. And it was sort of like, oh. And, you know, the name of the company, Inspire, is is based because or named because of one of my favorite phrases, which is people make choices for two reasons, desperation and inspiration. Mm -hmm. And we weren't desperate at all. We We were happy. We were good. It was, you know, the trains were on the track. Things were okay. But we were sort of inspired to say, oh. What if we did this? What if we tried this? What uh-huh. would it be? And I, I, I always laugh. I mean, you know, looking back, should I have done it sooner? Probably. <laughs> um, you know, would I have been as successful? Probably. But, you know, I was probably ready before, uh-huh. but I wasn't mentally there. So had I would you, say I'm, an, I'm an aged entrepreneur, <laughs> right? <laughs> had you ever thought about it before and, and really been nervous hadn't. or anything? Or you just I didn't? really hadn't. And, and one of the barriers for me was, I think, to doing it sooner was I really like doing PR. Mm-hmm. And I had this sort of idea that if I was going to start an agency, I was going to be doing business. And yeah. there was a reason I didn't get a business. Degree. I, didn't want, I, you know, I mean, I don't want to say I didn't want to run a business, but I didn't want to run a business. Yeah, I yeah. wanted to do PR. And I loved what I was doing. I loved my clients. I loved who I was doing it for. And I didn't want to walk away from that. And so it was a real struggle for me to make that call. However, I sort of when I when we when I said okay maybe we'll do this and I, I structured the business in a way that I could sort of push out most of those business functions uh-huh. you know I, I have like I have a person they're always like you got a guy for everything and you know, <laughs> in the you know loose sense you know but I sort of pushed out all of the sort of accounting and invoicing and bookkeeping to one place, all of the tax and to another place, all of the benefits in HR to another place, all of the long-term retirement programming to another place. So I really could do PR Mm -hmm. and and still work with clients. uh Um, You know, it doesn't mean that I, of course, am doing a lot to run the business day to day and making some changes to try and even look forward and ahead on that so Mm -hmm. that I don't get in the box that my prior boss got in with Mm -hmm. succession planning and things like that. But so I I really have sort of, I think, structured the company in a way that does allow me still to have good client relationships to do the pieces of the business that I love, Mm -hmm. but to have the, have the ownership. So So what, when you talk about Sort of, we wanted to, we're inspired to go out. Who was we at the time that you launched? So it ended up that when I, it was, it's a very convoluted story, but when, (laughs) when we opened this Ohio office for the company out of Kansas City, a couple of the people who had been with me at my prior agency ended up coming along. Mm -hmm. And so we, um, and and working for me in that capacity, Mm -hmm. and then they came along again when we started Inspire. So um, it was was really 
myself, the two of them, and then we had a graphic designer at the time too who so was working with us. Four people. And how to big start is the team inspire. today? Fifteen. Okay. Fifteen. One five. Yeah, not fifty. One five. One five. And then uh, and fourteen of us are thir- thirteen are PR professionals. We have one graphic designer, um, and then we have an admin gotcha. support too. So, what has been the hardest thing about being a founder? in in an agency owner? The hardest thing, I think, is trying to find that balance between knowing, you know, everything and then letting go and letting Mm -hmm. other people grow into management roles. So I just, um, a couple months ago, added um, an executive vice president to our team and then elevated two of our, to the two who were with me from Mm -hmm. the beginning, to vice president roles. And we're really trying to start thinking a lot more about how do I sort of give off some of that day-to-day. It's been hard to give up control. And, And I think it really has been a labor of love. It isn't as much sort of a control freak issue, I think, as it is a I just really love it and have a passion for it and want to see it grow. But that's not a long-term strategy. Uh-huh, it's not uh-huh. sustainable. And so having, you know, this new EVP and these other two women elevated to vice president positions, I think really will start to shift some of the day-to-day management, some of the operational side of the business uh, to them so that they can grow and develop. And they really already have. Mm-hmm. Um, but also then sort of free me up to think about the stuff that I'm good at as a founder, which isn't necessarily the day-to-day mm-hmm. of managing a team of 15, 14. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. We're kind of shifting gears a little bit mm-hmm. more to the direct subject of this podcast. Unlike a couple of recent guests I've had in here, my perception, at least, is that PR communications is a fairly female-dominated industry. Is that an accurate perception? The number is eighty-five percent. Okay, mm-hmm. and we are, is... all female, <laughs> we are an all-female. We are an all-female firm, as firm. you may have uh, seen. Oh, in your I, I So all-female is that intentional at all, or that's it's just not. okay? It, it is not. So one of the things I think that makes us unique as a as an agency, um, and, and this goes back to sort of again some of those best practices that I took with me along the way from my other positions. Anybody who wants to work at Inspire takes a five-part test. Mm, and boy. it can actually take two to three hours to oh take boy. the test. So you have to sort of be serious <laughs> about wanting to work there because we're going to make you work for it. Is that the first step in the process? or Typically, it's either the first, if it's somebody like that we know and already sort of have a familiarity with, mm-hmm. uh, it might be the first step. If it's somebody who just randomly applies out of the blue, it, we would probably bring them in for an interview first. Or say if we have an open position and we're doing interviews, then we might look at, say, three candidates and say, okay, who do we want to bring back in to take the test? Mm-hmm. And we usually say it that way, the test. It's very, <laughs> it's very dramatic. Because uh, I think it sometimes is, I think people appreciate it and it's a little off-putting or scary. Yeah, perhaps. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it is a, we know it's a big commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so it's five parts and... You know, some people zip through it really quickly. No surprise, we've had some former journalists apply over the years who can usually run through it pretty quickly because I think you all are trained to sort of generate content pretty quickly (laughs) sometimes. And so people who have a strong writing background do well. But writing is our stock and trade. Mm -hmm. And I can teach people a lot of things, but if you don't come into our company being a good writer, it's tough to bring somebody up in that space. Mm -hmm. You know, and we work very independently. Um, we need people who are self-directed. And so the, the test allows us to sort of see, and, and by the way, it's the same test, whether you are a college grad 
or have 15 years of experience. Mm-hmm. We'll hold you to a different standard for your performance on said test, uh-huh. but it's the same test. Is and it, so, so is it like, write me a press release? Yeah, or? you want to know what the five parts are. Yeah, so yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a spelling test. Uh-huh. We give you a list of words that are, some are misspelled, some are properly spelled, mm-hmm. and you have to mark the misspelled ones. There it is. It is. <laughs> there's an editing test. We give you a poorly written uh, news release mm-hmm. and ask you to fix it. Oh, I could give you some of those. Yeah, you, <laughs> you know, I might need that. Yours is a little dated, so <laughs> send me something bad and we'll work on it. Um, you know, but and that includes things like spelling errors, grammatical errors, some little secret things that we don't talk about. <laughs> um, that we, you know, and, and the, there, are, there are some things on there that very few people catch, but mm. the ones who do are good. And then we give you a fact sheet and we ask you from that to write a press release and social media posts. Mm-hmm. So we can sort of, that's a big piece of our business now. So, um, you know, here are some things you should know. You know, this company is getting ready to make this announcement. Here are some facts about that announcement. Right, you know, prepare us for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they do that. And then the last piece is sort of some strategic and analytical, you know, this is a client situation. If this is your client, how would you advise them? Or what do you think they could do? Or how would they fix this problem? Things mm-hmm. like that. Gotcha. So is that something that your previous agencies had done? Mm-hmm. Or, okay. Well, so... Two agencies before had the agency okay. that I started with had done that, and then uh, and then I sort of brought that with me along the way. So what do you? Um, and you, I should have so so I should have that 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 paced back to oh, uh, yeah. your question about whether we were intentionally female. I mean, there are obviously more women applying for jobs at our company than there are men. That's the nature of the industry. Mm-hmm. But the test is the one objective thing yeah. we have to look at, mm-hmm. and so if a man and a woman both take the test. And the woman does better. She's the one who's probably going to get hired. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. All, all other things being equal. Mm-hmm. So so it's just, you know, it is not by design. We would love to have a man apply. <laughs> <laughs> we always joke about that. You know, what's going to happen when the first man has to come into this office full of women? And it'll be fun. I mean, I guess it's since you've been in the industry your whole mm-hmm. career, it might be hard to think of this, but... Uh, yeah, I don't even know how you can answer the question, but I think sort of what advantages do you think come from it being more female dominated or just sort of what's mm-hmm. unique about that working in a firm with all women today? So yeah, we, were, we were just literally having this conversation earlier today. I mean, one of the things that I think is unique about our team is that everybody really likes everyone. Mm-hmm. We don't have sort of some of what you might consider that stereotypical sort of cattiness or anything like that. We are just very, everybody really likes everybody. Doesn't mean we always agree. Doesn't mean we don't have some spirited debates, but everybody just really likes and respects people. And one of the great things about being in an agency, I imagine it's somewhat like also being someplace like this is if you're in a nonprofit like I was, I was the only communicator, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of a lot of environments, you're the only communicator or one of a couple. It's really a treat to work in an office full of communicators because yes. there are so many people to bounce things off of, so much creativity moving around the room, and, and that's really a great thing. I do think that there are one of the things that I think women, I mean, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, gender biasing. I'm listening to my daughter <laughs> going, don't be gender biased in my ear. But... I do think that the nature of client service requires sort of some of that empathy, um, that soft touch Mm -hmm. that sometimes perhaps lends itself well. But, you know, which is not to say that men certainly couldn't do that as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. That's a very very good, perhaps lends itself well. Very soft. But I know, I hear you too, right? I know. Well, I think that's the, the, you know, it, it doesn't mean that others aren't. 
I also think that we work in some soft disciplines like, mm-hmm. you know, restaurant publicity, um, tourism publicity, some of those kind of pets, fluffy dogs and kittens. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I think, you know, this is one of the like tensions that I'm exploring in this podcast uh-huh. is like if we were having a conversation where we were like, well, men are better at this type of skill, it would be like very problematic. So I think I it's suppose good that. to, I suppose kind, of, that's like, right. to yeah. kind of couch that and like it just seems like what people tend to gravitate towards, but mm-hmm. lots of people are good at lots of different mm-hmm. things. Well, and I did, I've done some crisis training with the uh, Women for Economic and Leadership Development, WELD, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the things we talk about are sort of some of the attributes of a great leader in crisis are, mm-hmm. are lend themselves well mm-hmm. to, a, to a female point of view. Exactly, for sure. I think we tend to be more consensus builders. We mm-hmm. tend to want to sort of, you know, gather up all that, all that information and and, and empathy and, and values leads so much of crisis response that that's a helpful trait to have. Gotcha. So what was the, we'll go back to talking about that mm-hmm. crisis a little bit, sort of what was kind of the, the first big crisis communications work you did or sort of how did you wind up having that be kind of a specialty? It's a very circuitous route and, and kind of a funny one. Um, one. One of our beloved practice areas is in food and agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we were doing a lot of food and ag really before. I, there are actually a number of, of PR firms now that have that as a specialty. Mm-hmm. But I started working in food and ag back in the mid-90s mm-hmm. um, when people really weren't doing it. If you had an agcom degree, at that time, you went to work for Farm and Dairy, mm-hmm. or you worked went to work for a commodity organization doing their member newsletter and mm-hmm. things like that. But in the mid '90s, um, we got called to give some help to a um, to an agriculture commodity here in Ohio that had a bad actor, and that bad actor was really taking the whole industry down. Now, keep in mind, this was before social media. This was, I mean, this was really before the internet. Mm-hmm. And there were activists getting involved and, you know, and these guys were saying, and, you know, and, and picture this, if you will, you know, I'm a 24-year-old girl from Clintonville, you know, going into a room with a bunch of 50 and 60-year-old white men, mm-hmm. giving them advice on how to deal with a bad acting farmer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I didn't know farming. I, you know, <laughs> I grew up in town. I was four generations off a farm. And, and you know, but we did it. Uh-huh. We did it. And what they said, and they were really very progressive. I mean, wise beyond their, you know, sort of what you would expect from that group at that, in that mm-hmm. decade. And they said, you have to help us because, right, if this continue, you know, and we see it today, right, all the time where, one bad actor in an industry can really harm an entire industry. Mm-hmm. And they were seeing this 25 years ago and realizing that if they didn't start telling their own story proactively, he was going to define their industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what they hired us to do. And so as part of that, then I got into sort of this food production and farming world and yeah, and, and it really just sort of grew from there where there was a lot of counsel, you know, needed for them. You know, there's a lot of regulation, a lot of permitting, some mm-hmm. neighbor issues can come up, um, things like that. And so, you know, sort of started down that road. Um, I got then sort of pulled into doing some food company work in the nature in the area of food safety and recalls. And so mm-hmm. I started helping navigate through some crisis recalls. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really just grew from there. 
Gotcha. Interesting. And then, you know, sort of once you figured out what worked with one, I mean, we have a unique way of approaching a lot of crisis work that we do, which is we, we work really hard to remind our clients, you know, they tend to want to lead with facts mm-hmm. um, and we work really hard to remind them they need to lead with values and emotion and that connecting point, you know, mm-hmm. what matters to them. You know, it's easy in a crisis to forget that something's hurting, right? Mm-hmm. There's some sort of emotional tie to that argument. It might be, so So think about, I use this in my, I was talking to you all about my Travel Weekly piece. And, uh, sorry, am I not supposed to mention that other magazine? No, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> it's Travel Weekly. Um <laughs> But I'm not exactly a direct competitor right? of Columbus Business First. Although, you know, cruise line, line one, would you like to come cover a cruise line? <laughs> or you're leaving right now, right? Um, but, um, you know, but one of the things that, you know, that I said to them is, is they were having this crisis and the people were sort of chanting, we want a refund, we want a refund. But, you know, that was the rhetoric, but you had to hear what were they frustrated about. And what they were frustrated about was they didn't feel like they got their money's worth. Mm -hmm. You know, they were disappointed. And so you have to acknowledge the feeling and the emotional side of it. You know, we understand that you're disappointed. We're disappointed. We wanted to bring you this amazing opportunity and we weren't able to do it because the weather didn't allow us to go into those ports. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what we try to do in our line of crisis responses. We try to help companies figure out what's that connection point and, and to, to realize that they have to acknowledge how people are feeling about this crisis. Mm-hmm. You can't just sort of go, well, we did this or we did that. You can't just sort of get defensive. You have to really engage. It's a, it's a very different way of thinking, and not everybody does it. And, you know, I mean, day to day, I sit, spend a lot of my time sitting going, why did they say that? Why did they say that? Or why did they let so many hours go by without responding? Because, and especially in the world of social media. I mean, it's changed. It's a game changer for how I do business and crisis response. It's interesting to think about in the terms of, there's a lot of conversation in the uh, celebrity podcast that I listen to about sort of the celebrity apology today mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. who, you know, how people say they're sorry. And if they do kind of, why is it so hard for people to acknowledge the right. emotion or the hurt that you're talking about when like that is so often the critique of like, you didn't apologize, right? Essentially, right. because right. you're just sort of, you know, it's the, Almost, I'm sorry if you're offended at the best or mm-hmm. whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So, very interesting. You it could is. Have... I wrote a whole blog about why I wanted everybody to strike thoughts and prayers from their vocabulary. <laughs> I have a whole long diatribe about it. And, uh, yeah, and that. And also the value of a good apology. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a long time, and, you know, there's an old joke in our industry about the PR people and lawyers can't work collaboratively, mm-hmm. that we're always mm-hmm. working at odds. And I will tell you, I've worked with, lots of attorneys over the years and I've almost never encountered somebody who, who wouldn't listen to my point of view. And so for that, I'm grateful because uh, I've heard some horror stories, but, <laughs> but you know, there was this idea for a long time that an apology meant admitting life. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And so we can't apologize. And, and you can say things without apologizing mm-hmm. too, right? You can, you can acknowledge mistakes were made or you can apologize without admitting that something that mm-hmm. your organization did something wrong. And so yes. it just, Helping them, I mean, choosing the right words is an art Mm -hmm. in in a case like that. And Mm -hmm. the right words that will help people connect and will lay the groundwork for recovery for a company's reputation, 
Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. I mean, there was a lot of criticism of the, the cruise line situation that I was talking about. There was a lot of criticism because, you know, they sort of said, well, we'll just give you 25% off another cruise. Uh-huh. And people didn't feel like that was enough. And and maybe it would have been enough if they'd have connected with them early on about the why. Right? Uh-huh. And it just, yeah. Plus, when you're mad at a company, the answer is not always, I'll buy more products. Right, from right. You. Well, that was the other so, thing. I don't want to get back I'll on one of those. still am paying ships. you 75% of the cost. But, but the analogy I used in that case, I mean, was so, to me, like if you were on an airplane and the airplane pi- pilot came on the air and said, we're not going to be able to land in Columbus, Ohio, because it's not safe to do so. We're going to land in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Who among us is going to get angry? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because we understand it's a matter of public safety. Like it was Cleveland. a safety issue, right? <laughs> and and so you wonder at what point did they did they or did they not? And I wasn't there, so mm-hmm. I'm armchair quarterbacking like crazy. But you wonder, did they say, you know what? We really want to get you here. It's just simply not safe to do so. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. in order to keep you safe, we've got to make some difficult decisions. Mm-hmm. Well, same. All the <laughs> pivoting again a little mm-hmm. bit, talk a little bit more about you. So how many hours a week are you working? More than I should, but probably on average about 50. Okay. I would guess. Still pretty hard. And and but a lot of you know, I'm a new empty nester. Uh-huh. And I love I love what I do. Mm-hmm. And so those two things sort of work together to give me the opportunity to work a little more, probably mm-hmm. than uh, but but I would say it's not all sort of intense and hard and stressful. Mm-hmm. And I would also say that I do a lot of that on my own. I flex my time almost every day, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. to make it work for the rest of my life. And so when I work at night or if I work on a Saturday for a couple hours, it's because I've probably taken that couple hours somewhere else in the week mm-hmm. um, to do something I need to do for me. Gotcha. But not too hard and not consistently. I would say that, that the agency world is really changing. There used to be a real sweatshop mentality on mm-hmm. the agency side. And, and we're really working hard to get away from that. Is, is it harder some weeks than others? Absolutely. Do we still have to build time? Of course we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's how we make payroll. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, but we don't have to be crazy about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and but I imagine much like journalism, there's going to be times where it's mm-hmm. going to be very intense because there's right. a lot going on and that'll balance out with the times where it feels a little slow. That's right. Whatever, so. That's right. And, and I mean, if I say 50 too, that's also doing something potentially like having dinner with a client yeah. or, you know, going, going to, to a networking event or, yeah. a, you know, with a client or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. I had dinner with a great friend who also is a, you know, per last night who's also, but who's also a person, you know, with whom I work. And mm-hmm. so you okay. could count that as work, but I wouldn't. <laughs> so you mentioned you're a new empty nester and you mentioned your daughter earlier. Do you just have just her? I or? have a daughter and a son and a stepson. Okay. And how old are they? 24, 23 and 20. Oh, oh, really? Yes. So quite Fresh into the uh, I, we are my my son just went to college in Nashville last year. Oh wow, uh-huh. yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Where at Vanderbilt? So he's at Belmont. Or? At Belmont. Oh, he want to be a musician or something. So he wants to be an economist and oh. a trumpet performer. Oh, so all right. All he's right. able to do both there, and mm-hmm. he's having a great time. He's living his passion um, and knows that. To be gainfully employed for the rest of his life, he probably also needs to have an academic degree like economics. Yes, yes, that's smart. So, I yeah. had a 
uh, like a friend of a friend who I knew when I lived in Nashville who was at Belmont because he wanted to be a songwriter. His dad was an economics professor, but he himself not balancing the songwriting with an economics degree. All in on the songwriting. I'll tell you a great joke about songwriting in Nashville sometime. (laughs) Yeah, shit, this is not a podcast (laughs) about uh, Belmont Uh, University, but Um, it's a beautiful school. (laughs) It is a a great city. And so my daughter just finished her master's in last May and now works full-time at the Ohio State University. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then my stepson works out in Lincoln County. Okay, so so the two of them are close by. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yep. Terrific. Let's see. What is your favorite way to unwind when you have had a super stressful week? Uh, There'll probably be a glass of Cabernet involved. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I will will read or I will uh, binge watch something. Mm -hmm. Um, I love, we've enjoyed a lot of the uh, sort of, I guess, popular sort of TV series that, mm. you know, everybody's talking about. What so, are you watching right now? Um, we, so I just, we just did a nine season run of Suits, which was oh! on USA for forever. And Meghan Markle. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and it was so funny because we kept watching it in that context, right? Yeah. When do you think, she, do you think she's going to leave? At what point in the season do you think she meets the, press, the prince and blah, blah, blah. We were just And in we your were mind, were you like, I wonder if the queen has also watched this show? I was. <laughs> and I, it was. And there was, there were some racy scenes where I was like, <laughs> I don't think Queen Elizabeth is going to be okay with this. You know? And things like that. So we do that. I will often get up on a Saturday morning and, um, you know, make a fire and uh, get some coffee and, mm-hmm. and sit and either read the paper or a book or, you know, we do read newspapers with paper. Oh, um, wow. And uh, things like that. And, and read um, Columbus Business First. Every that's day. right. Or we, we, or, you know, or, or we'll, you know, do, do that. But usually it's, usually it involves just some kind of sort of wind down mm-hmm. um, and really getting out of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will often sort of involve either just reading something fiction or watching something um, okay. crazy. So, so do you recommend? We're about to start Luther, which is a BBC oh. show. Have you done Luther? Luther's a good one. Yeah, um, I've not watched it, And so we're, we're caught up, but we're about to start the new season of mm-hmm. that. Because once we got into the, you know, we didn't know when we started Suits, there were so many seasons. And so Isn't Catherine Heigl on the last couple seasons? She is. She replaced she Meghan is. Um, yeah. She is. Yeah, she went in when um, when Megan. well, she was, I think they crossed over for a minute, okay. but not for long. Right. Um, and then, but oh, the Harvey and Donna thing. Been the suits corner of it this is. podcast. Sorry, yes. Oh no, it's fine. Sorry, we'll move on. <laughs> I still have a little PTSD for well, being over. Well, I feel so. like I probably shouldn't talk about Meghan Markle, but fascinated. So, okay, well, let's see. I think kind of the, the final question that I had for you is: if you were talking to a, a young woman just starting her career, twenty-two, what's sort of the number one piece of advice? Do the internships. Ah, that's great. I was going to ask: do you hire interns at we Inspire? We do, and. It, it's yeah we, we've had a number of them in and out and, and in my other lives I mean again I, I just when you when you when I sit and I look back and I go what made me who I am today it's my internships mm-hmm. I mean it's obviously evolved from then but I mean what an interesting thing to think about the fact that I'm still in touch with people that I did internships for in 1988. Mm -hmm, And I still do business with people I did internships with in 1988. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. 
I was really fortunate that I was, you know, in a position where I could take, uh, back then a lot more internships were unpaid, I think, than they are today. Um, and so I was in a position where my parents supported me in, in being able to do that and to, and to have those unpaid opportunities to, mm-hmm. to learn from and to network from. I mean, that would be the number one thing I would say. And, and I guess, you know, when I look back, you know, it's, it's easy. Hindsight's always clear. I would say take the leap. Right, because mm-hmm. it took me a long time. I was forty six mm-hmm. before I took that that leap to entrepreneurship, and probably could have done it sooner. <laughs> probably shouldn't have been so, you know, timid. But uh-huh. I again, I was not desperate. I had yeah. a really great career, and I don't have any regret for doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And oh, I've, do people who apply for internships at Inspire have to take the test? Uh, so. Generally, a piece of it okay, is shorter. We'll, tests. Yeah, we'll, we'll there we have sort of different expectations, uh-huh. um, but but we'll certainly want want to see how they write before they'll be they'll be gotcha allowed in. Allowed. So so anyone Dramatic. listening who's passionate about PR, I just know they gotta be practicing their writing skills. Email me. I'm the only Hinda doing PR in Columbus. <laughs> I'm probably the only Hinda doing PR in other Have places. Have you ever too. met another person named Hinda? Well, there's a funny story there. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> There's a funny story there. So I just randomly one night started looking on Twitter to figure out who else was on Twitter named Hinda. Mm-hmm. As one does. As one does, right? <laughs> you know, you asked how I spend my spare time. You know, I completely put myself into the nerd zone there. I started connecting with, there were three uh-huh. who I found who, who really were active. There are more like, but they're not really active. And so what's interesting about it is one of them is a communications professor. Mm. One of them does digital media in Canada. And the other one bills herself as the oldest working actress in Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) All right. she is a treat. (laughs) But but isn't it interesting that three of the four of us are in some semblance of public relations? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Weird. Interesting. And you could make the case that the oldest working actress probably yeah, also is a PR person a, yeah, by, a, by she default, right? She is certainly branding she, herself. Her her Twitter handle is backwards, though. So it's 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 a, a what do you a, call it? An yeah. anagram. Yeah. She's on it. A H N I D. All right. I don't know. I, I can't even spell take it. Take your so. word for it. Uh, well, anywho, that, that was funny. Fun. That was very <laughs> interesting. Uh, and so thank you so much to the only Hinda of Columbus, Ohio. I don't know. Maybe there are other people named Hinda here, but the only the only one you've found in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. So thank you, Hinda, for being on the thank podcast. Uh, it was a treat to chat with you. You too.